Hey there, lovely souls. I'm your host, Allison Toth, and I want to give you a warm welcome to Wishing You Wellness, the podcast where mental health meets spirituality. When it comes to rock bottom, I've been there more than once, and I know what it's like to wake up daily to mental health struggles. On this podcast, I share insight and stories to help motivate and inspire you and to help you feel less alone in this. In Wishing You Wellness, we talk inner child healing, mindset shifts, radical self-love, the art of intentional living, and so much more. Think of me as your mental wellness bestie. If you're ready to step into your power and change your life, just hit play. say for the third time today today i am doing a lot of podcast interviews just back to back to back and there is there really isn't a better way to spend my day than just hopping on here over and over again and getting to talk with people so welcome back you guys to wishing you wellness it is so good to see you whether it's your first time here or maybe you've been coming since day one i want you to know how much i appreciate you coming and sharing this space with me and my fabulous guest that I bring on. And so with that said, today I have brought on another holistic coach. I'm going to let her tell you more about what she does specifically, what lights her up. But just a quick little intro. Her name is Paige Harris. We've been going back and forth for quite a while. She had reached out to me about being on the podcast and it was in the middle of a transition period. So everything was just crazy, crazy, crazy. We finally got to sit down today and I'm super, super excited for this because her list of topics was incredible and I was like, there are some words that I don't even know and that's how I know this is going to be a potent and amazing interview because I'm a novice on what we're talking about and I love being in the position of having no clue what's going on because then you can learn and grow and expand. So Paige, welcome to Wishing You Wellness. It's so amazing to have you. I would love for you to just take up some space, let me know who you are, what you love, what you do and where you're tuning in from today. Awesome. So thank you so much, Allison. It's really exciting to be here. Like you said, um, after some scheduling issues, we finally got this down. So I'm very excited to talk with you today. Um, even if I'm number three today, which is a long day, it's not really that late for those listening. That's, that's a lot. Um, Yeah. All right. But, um, like you said, my name is Paige Harris. I am a personal trainer and a holistic health coach. And I recently got my master's of science in human nutrition and functional medicine from the university of Western States. My specialty, uh, as a coach is helping women release restrictive dieting mindsets to optimize their health specifically to heal their guts, hormones, and relationships with themselves and their bodies. Um, so like, like you kind of mentioned, like a couple of words that you might not know. So I definitely got into this fitness holistic health space after suffering from something called orthorexia, which is a non-specified eating disorder. I don't think that it is actually listed in the DSM yet, which is the manual where you can kind of like put in any kind of mental issues you might be having, but it is listed as non-specified. And basically orthorexia is when you are absolutely obsessed with basically perfection when it comes to health and fitness. So I chose suddenly without reason, um, we'll go into why this happened in the first place, but, um, I would choose like, oh, well I have to eat 1600 calories a day. There was no rhyme or reason for that. I just decided that that was my number and that I had to be perfect and eat that exactly every single day. Um, I also decided I had to start working out twice a day, every day, or like, if I didn't do that, then I was wrong or I was bad or I let up on my routine. And so it really did turn into 
what could be looked at from the outside is a well-intentioned, like, oh, you're trying to take care of yourself. But on the inside, there was a lot of dysfunction and perfectionism going on there, which eventually like trickle down the lane ended up with my current business, which is imperfectly page wellness, trying to get rid of the idea that you need to be perfect in everything so that you can actually live your life and live healthfully. So hit, hit me with some questions based on what I said, and we can take that wherever you want to go. Oh, amazing. There's so many places I can take this. I'm sitting here like, man, which rabbit hole do we want to venture down first? But I think the first thing that's coming through for me is where did you get your start in this? What was like the final straw or the turning page where you're like, okay, I want to take what is hurting me and help others with that. I want to take my pain and turn it into my purpose. What did that journey kind of look like for you? Oh yes. Love the pain to purpose journey. So I, like I said, I suffered with this for probably about a year or so. And it was um, my sophomore into my junior year of undergraduate. And at the time I was studying French and political science. So literally nothing to do with health. Um, I had no real, and I think this is part of the problem that I got myself sucked into is I didn't really know anything about fitness or nutrition. I just acted like I did because I looked at things on social media and I thought that people were telling me the truth, which it didn't happen. Um, but anyways, I ended up going and studying abroad for part of my French major. And I lived in Nice, France for a while. And I stayed in a homestay there and I was unable to prepare any of my own food. Like when you stay at a homestay, they give you your breakfast, they give you your dinner. Lunch was on our own because we were usually not home at that point. But for the week, I had everything prepared for me. And if you don't know, you do not refuse food from a French person. You just don't. Nope. It was the same. <laughs> Living in Spain, I had the same experience. Yeah. Like if I told my host mom, I don't like that. There would be no food. Too on bad. So yeah. I just sucked it up and was like, okay, I'll eat whatever. Yep. And so I was forced to eat all of these things that I had told myself like, oh, you, like, I can't eat this. This is going to like immediately make me gain weight. And it didn't. Um, I also had to quit exercising because I only had a, like, I had a very small room there, uh, as far as like foot space goes. So I could maybe fit a yoga mat at the foot of my bed, but really there was like no space to really do anything. And so my only exercise for those months I was over there was walking around and I was like, I was terrified that I was going to gain a ton of weight and I didn't. And I also was exposed over there to the French way of looking at and thinking about food, which is very similar to the Italian way, which is how I was brought up. My family is very Italian and we always like loved food. And so it kind of definitely hurt my family when I started getting <laughs> very irritatingly orthorexic and I would refuse food from them, um, or bring my own. And like, that also got me into like a little bit of trouble at the time, but it wasn't until France that I really started to kind of see the light and realize that foods aren't good and bad. They aren't black and white. And it kind of really was the language, um, which I'm super into. Like I said, I'm, I'm a French major, je parle français. Um, and I'm learning other languages. I had a linguistics minor when I came out of college too. Um, but I kind of realized at that point, uh, and I think I made my Instagram account, like right when I was coming back that I needed to start sharing things that I was learning, um, and how to like, actually realize like, Hey, 
all of this information that you might be seeing on social media isn't actually doing any good for your health and eating just salads with no salad dressing is not doing any good for your health or going to the gym twice a day every day is not doing any good for your health. Um, and it just kind of started busting all of that disinformation and then it kind of spiraled from there. So I got home from the States. I ended up taking a weightlifting class at, during my senior year of college, fell in love with weightlifting, um, got my personal training certification right out of college and kind of did that on the side of my tech job that I had. And then I realized I was spending most of my tech job reading and researching and like boosting my own social media when it came to health and wellness and holistic fitness. Uh, and then when I moved, because part of the end of your original question was, where am I? I'm now in Iowa. So I am in Coralville, Iowa, which is right next to Iowa City, if anybody knows that. Um, probably not. I definitely didn't. But my husband is studying to get his doctorate in clinical psychology out here. And so when we moved, I used that as an excuse to completely pivot out of tech, which is what I had originally done and went kind of all in on myself and Imperfectly Page Wellness. And then decided when the pandemic hit, what, what's a better time? If you're stuck at home, you might as well go back to school. So I went and got my master's and just finished that up. And now I'm like, I am officially official when it comes to being able to offer the advice that I have. And so I, you know, because such a big part of my story was providing like truthful information to people and not just like the common yeah. diet culture BS that we see everywhere. Uh, it meant a lot to me to finally kind of do that as well. Oh, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing that because I love hearing people's kind of origin story and what started their vision and their passion. And I think that's beautiful. Second of all, I love accidentally stumbling upon Midwesterners because I am currently in the Midwest. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. So we're actually oh, nice. super far. You said Iowa City and I was like, I was there a couple years ago. That's that's right up the road, basically. I had somebody from Illinois the other day, and I didn't even realize until after the interview that she was in Illinois. She was like two hours from me. And I was like, oh my gosh, Meredith, we were like actually very close to each other as that interview went down. But I think it's amazing when people come from like a small town or like a small space and then still live out these huge dreams. So are you from Iowa or where is like home base home base yeah home base um i grew up in a very small town called sharon it's in northwestern pennsylvania um it's about an hour north of pittsburgh so i went to pittsburgh for or university of pittsburgh for my undergrad and lived there um like during school and then afterward with my now husband we stayed i was there i think seven years total and then we moved out to iowa for his school but definitely plan on getting back toward the east coast uh in like another I don't remember if it's two or three years, whenever he's finished writing his dissertation. You get your time. Amazing. I think that's awesome. And it's, like I said, it's very neat when people come from these small towns and are like, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to go and see the world, do the thing. I love that we both studied abroad. I think that's super awesome. And it really was such a transformative part of my life. And so a question that came through for me is like, how do I word this? I'm going to try to find the right words. Why do you think we have this fixation on control? Why do you think oh. that people, yeah, this is a juicy one, right? Why do you think people want to control their eating habits or their exercise habits to a fault or to a point where it's like hurting them? So this is something that I've considered a lot over the years. And honestly, my answer changes day to day. So like you're asking me <laughs> today. And so this is what comes to mind. But for me, at least, 
I know that I wasn't controlling food and exercise because of the food and exercise, um, which it usually never is about the food or exercise. It's about something else that you're trying to kind of protect yourself from. So my eating disorder experience kind of got spurred on after a really bad breakup that I had like a couple of months before the eating disorder set in where somebody who I, and I harbor no hard feelings toward this person. Now we have spoken since then and like, everything's fine. So I don't want people like going out and seeking him out, but basically the, the relationship kind of just got pulled out from under me and it, it really culminated with like, I asked like what happened and he point blank to my face said, I don't love you anymore. And to me, like that was terrible. Now I appreciate the honesty, like in hindsight, I'm very happy that it happened that way. And like, kudos to him for actually being honest. Cause it wasn't the right fit. Um, I can say that now cause I'm married and very happy. So, you know, whatever. Um, but he had said that to me and I internalized that at the time as someone who was always very anxious and very perfectionistic as why doesn't he love me? Something must be wrong with me. And so immediately I was like, well, I know I'm very intelligent. And like, that's always been the case. I've always been the stupid straight A student that everyone hates because I just love learning and I love um, digging into all of that stuff. And so that always was it for me. And I was like, okay, well, it's not because I'm dumb. So we can at least cross that off. But then I was like, oh, you know, what else is going on? Well, I, you know, I danced my whole life until graduating high school. And when I went to college, I kind of stopped that. So I didn't really have an exercise routine anymore. And my body hadn't changed that much. But at the same time, like in your head, you have to think, oh, well, it's because, you know, I let myself go. I didn't let myself go. I've barely changed size. I'm very privileged in that sense. Like I've been about the same size my entire life. So I was like, this is, you know, but this is what it is. This is what I'm going to fix because I'm not obsessing over this right now. So like, let me latch on, grab that control because I don't want to feel sad that my relationship is just over. I'm going to say like, you know, screw you. I'm going to go get my revenge body. And that ruined me. And so I think that for a lot of people and like, it doesn't have to be a relationship. It could be a familial relationship that is kind of out of control and you feel like you don't have control over it or money. Money is a huge one. And that's actually what I ended up pivoting to post eating disorder. I started getting really, really obsessive over like never having enough money and having like that lack mindset of, okay, well, you know, this is going to be what I'm going to hyper fixate on next because I didn't get to the the core root, which is like kind of, uh, if you've ever seen, um, one tree Hill, <laughs> which is totally like out of left field here, Such a but good show. <laughs> at one point there's, um, there's a line where I, I forget exactly how it comes up, but somebody says to one of the characters, Brooke Davis, like what's under the clothes and for her, like fashion is her obsession. And so for me, it was like, well, what's under this eating disorder? Like, what are you trying to hide from yourself? And for me, it was just that fear that like, I was unlovable for some reason. Like I was too much for people. I, you know, I, I've always been very headstrong. I've always been a go-getter. I mean, for God's sake, like I started my own business. You have to be a little crazy to do that. And (laughs) yeah. And so it's like, I, I just thought like, okay, well I'm too much. So let me use this control around food to literally make myself smaller, make myself shrink and kind of boil it down to being like, oh, this is either going to be good or bad. 
And that's going to be an easy black and white thing that I can just obsess over and try and be perfect in just like I had with grades and everything else before. Wow. And so what is your advice for somebody who's dealing with this in real time? If somebody is sitting here listening and they're like, this resonates, I really feel this, what would you tell them? So a couple of things. Number one is going to be work with somebody. I know that people like I'm a coach. I get that. You can work with me if you want to. If you resonate with this, I'd love to speak with you. But at the same time, if you don't resonate with me, I don't care. Just go get help. (laughs) Like you don't have to do this alone. And that's something that I pushed back on for a long time myself. Um, I had, I got coaches before I got therapy, but I still think that both of them were the best investment I ever made in myself. And every time I talk to my clients now, they're like, oh, well, did you ever get a coach? And I'm like, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and and like a therapist, yes, like it helps a lot. Um, but if you're looking for something as kind of like a baby step, something you can do at home, something you can do right now, um, I and this is something that I teach to clients too, is I started playing the but why or like, but why this game? So I would sit there and say, like, say I'm uh, trying to restrict my food because I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'd be like, why am I trying to restrict my food? Well, I'm feeling uncomfortable, but why am I feeling uncomfortable? Well, and sometimes it would be like, oh, well, you know, my stomach hurts a little bit and I just feel on edge. And it's like, okay, but why does my stomach hurt? Like, why do I feel on edge? And sometimes that would be, oh, you know, I didn't get enough sleep last night or um, I have a big interview later that I'm nervous about. And so it's anticipation. And by going through and kind of getting to the root of it all, you can kind of figure out what to change to make things better. So in that instance, say, okay, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling upset. What's going on? Turns out, you know, it's really that you're upset that, like you said, you have an interview later that day and you're really nervous about it. Well, go and shake it out. Go and do some hit sprints or some jumping jacks or something and get that nervous energy out because anxiety and like anticipation manifest the same way in our bodies. And it's all about the label that you're assigning to it. So if you are feeling like, oh my God, I'm so anxious right now, flip it around and be like, wow, I like, I am anticipating so much right now. Like I am just buzzing with energy. Mm-hmm. It's the same feeling and yep. you're the one that's choosing to label it one way or another. So why not make it the better thing? Oh, I love that so much. I feel like I've said that before to coaching clients, like that moment of fear and anxiety can be the exact same as excitement. And so I'm not talking about like anxiety about things you should have anxiety about, right? Like a public health pandemic, fair, you yes. can have that anxiety. But if you're anxious about a speech or an opportunity or a job interview, you have the capacity to shift that and be like, well, you know, I'm very lucky to have this. I'm very excited about this. Let's focus on the excitement rather than the fear and the anxiety, because it's like Paige said, fear, excitement, they're pretty much the same thing. Like they make your adrenaline pump. They make your skin kind of crawl a little bit. You get a little shaky. You get that like wet hands thing going on. And so yeah, just kind of recognizing that feeling as it comes up, accepting it and being like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. And then really putting a name to it, like Paige described, is super important. And asking those whys, peeling back the layer to the onion. Okay, I'm feeling on edge. Why am I feeling on edge? Okay, I'm feeling on edge because I'm anticipating. What am I anticipating? And why am I anticipating? Like, is there a possible bad outcome? Am I nervous because it's unfamiliar? Like, where are these nerves coming from? Because when we understand 
the thinking process, it's so much easier to then like change, adapt and move forward. Because when we're just living in autopilot and we feel anxious all the time and we don't know why, it's exhausting. I have definitely lived a life where I'm just like flying by the seat of my pants and like, oh, I'm anxious today. I'm feeling super terrible right now. And when I don't stop and gain clarity, it just all becomes one blur of just like, man, that was an anxious week. Yeah, but like, why was it an anxious week? Absolutely. And it's also important to recognize that you might not have an answer and that's okay. And that was something that therapy really helped me with was just like learning to sit in the discomfort of feeling anxious or feeling anticipatory and not really understanding why that feeling was happening in the first place and not assigning that as bad. Like I was taught forever, like, oh my God, I have anxiety and it's so awful to feel this this way. Like, why? So what if I'm feeling anxious one day? As long, like, it's not affecting anything about me. Like, what does it matter if I, you know, I feel a little on edge today? It's like, you just got to go through it anyway, like you said, or sit in the anxiety and be dis- be be discomfort, um, get in the discomfort, like be uncomfortable. Um, one of the biggest things that I end up teaching to my clients is not to do anything, but actually just to spend more time being like existing overall. I feel like our messages are very aligned. Like as you're saying this, I'm like, this is resonating so much because I'm very, very much anti good vibes only. Like when people come to me and they're like, good vibes only, positive vibes only. I'm like, check that shit at the door if you're working with me. Because I'm an advocate for being human and having a human experience, which includes good days. It includes shitty days. It includes anxious days. And it does not include labeling or judging your feelings or trying to push away or shove down anything that isn't sparkly, pretty good vibes only. Because you're a human being and you're meant to have an array of experiences and this doesn't mean that we need to spend all of our time feeling bad like if anything the capacity to feel the lows keeps us able to stay in the highs longer because if you are pushing everything down your good vibes only parade is going to get rained on eventually and it's all going to come hailing down but if you let anxiety manifest and pop up and just sit with it like okay hello anxiety nice to see you again come on in here's a tea while you're here let's just like sit together allowing that is where your power comes into play. And I tell people who are struggling with panic disorder and panic attacks, your number one key to success, radical acceptance. Oh my God. Yes. If you try to outrun a panic attack, guys, you're going to like be running and get ran over by a bus. Like you cannot outrun your anxiety and the harder that you run, the quicker it's going to catch you. And so if you just turn around and face it and go, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now. This is starting to edge on a panic attack. How can I damage control? How can I take care of myself in the moment? What does my mind need? What does my nervous system need? I love all of that. And I completely agree with you because for a a few years, like in eating disorder recovery, I was dealing with panic attacks. Not, I I don't, I hesitate to say regularly, but a, a lot more often than I get them now. I couldn't honestly tell you the last one that I had now. Um, and that was definitely something that I used to do. I would just keep pushing through. And even if I was feeling super anxious, I would never think about it. I would just shove it down. And then eventually you'd get to the point where you'd explode, you have a panic attack. And then I usually would be dead to the world for like a day or two and be almost catatonic. And then I'd be like, okay, now everything's fine. And I actually learned relatively recently that that freeze response is also a, like a 
flight, fight or flight or freeze, where I was explaining to people like, oh yeah, sometimes I'll just have to go. And I called it a depression nap. And I would just literally go in my bed and lay there and kind of twilight sleep for like three or four hours. And afterward, I'd feel completely fine. And my husband who is studying psychology was like, this is not normal. (laughs) Like you shouldn't be just like having depression naps. Like, what is this? Are you tired? I'm like, I'm not tired. I'm just like catatonic. And that was my body trying to protect me because it was overwhelmed and I wasn't doing anything to fix it. Now, once again, when's the last time I took one of those? I don't even think since moving to Iowa, I've done that. So it's like, it, it's been years now because I'm actually focusing on myself and what I need and advocating for what I need too. having hard conversations with people around you is one of the biggest, like scariest things that you can do, but it really does help, especially for those closest to you. So like roommates, um, people like people you're living with, especially because like, for example, my husband now knows if I am anxious, I need him to basically actively ignore that in me. Like I just need him to keep on doing whatever he's doing. I don't want someone to sit down and hug me and tell me everything's all right because in that moment, no, it's not. And that's fine. But I'm like, I I don't want you to console me. I don't want you to also get upset. Like just accept what I'm telling you and just keep telling me about your day. I, I don't, I need the consistency to get through it. And that's what works. Just having (laughs) him hold that space and accept your feelings. I, so something I've learned as a crisis worker through my training was that a lot of people are uncomfortable with the discomfort of others. And you can't Mm -hmm. be that way as a crisis worker, right? I can't be like, oh, you're feeling bad. Here's the solution. Get off the phone. Like go fix yourself. I'm so uncomfortable with that. No, you have to get good at sitting with people in their discomfort and allowing them to feel things, even if those things make you a little anxious or feel a little bit weird. And you just have to get into a space of holding that space and allowing people to feel whatever they need to feel rather than trying to quick fix them for your own good, right? Because trying to quick fix somebody is not for them. It is not that you are trying to help them. It is that you don't like the feelings that it brings up in you, whether it reminds you of yourself or maybe it just gives you general anxiety, but yeah. Yeah. And one of the things as far as like holding space for others, something that I teach to all of my clients is the concept of an energy bucket. And this was actually something that my first coach taught me. And she's like, when you're around other people and they are dumping on you, you have an energy bucket. Whatever they're dumping on you is not going to you. It's not going to bring down your vibe. If you are in a good mood and somebody else is in a really shitty mood, that doesn't mean you also need to be in a shitty mood. You can hold the bucket. You can hold their feelings. They're in front of you. They're not touching you. They're not becoming you. And this is something that I literally do every single day of my entire life now. And it works so well. And it really helps when you're around a lot of negative people, especially if this does have to do like tying it back into like dieting. If you're around a ton of people who are not in the same headspace as you, and you're in a place where you are trying to work on yourself and you are trying to heal and take up space and advocate, it's okay to like set boundaries around other people and actually just, you know, like either say like one of my favorite stories um, is one of my longstanding clients uh, went to a, I think it was a Christmas or Thanksgiving party. 
And she is very over all of her family's diet talk. And so in the middle of her aunt telling her about some new diet she was trying, she literally turned around and walked away from the conversation. And she's like, I was like, well, what happened? And she said that the aunt just turned to the person next to her and just continued talking and didn't like pay any attention to any of it. So I think people really are so nervous that they're going to offend somebody by setting a boundary. And she's like, she wasn't offended at all. She probably was a little confused that I just walked away in the middle of the sentence, but she's like, I upheld my boundary. It didn't do anything. And like, it made me nervous to do it. But then I realized like that was the best outcome for everyone involved. Yeah. And this is a topic I've been wanting to cover on my podcast for a while because I get so many DMs about how do I hold a boundary? Like I said it, I did the thing. It was scary. It was hard. But then how do I not go back on it when I maybe do get negative response from the person that I'm setting the boundary with? Because that will happen, you guys, if somebody is not in the headspace, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with where they're at on their healing journey, how aware and conscious they are, etc. But like there are just times where people are going to hear your boundary and they're going to take it personally or they're going to internalize it or they're going to project something onto it and be like, this is not right, this is not fair. That is not your responsibility, okay? Like their response, whether they lash out or throw Starbucks cups at you, that is not your business. <laughs> your business is doing what's right to you and protecting yourself with those boundaries in the first place. Yes. Um, something I tell everyone is you're not responsible how other people react to your boundaries. They are there for you. They are there to protect you, to keep you safe. It is a guidebook for how you want to be treated by other people. And if you aren't upholding them, like if you set a boundary, but then you're bending on it all the time. My bigger question to ask is why is the other person in that equation more important to you than you are? Because that was something that I really like, I never had a problem with, to be honest. And people would always tell me like, I was very selfish. I was always the selfish kid. And I realized over the years, I'm like, Every job I've ever had has been a helping job, has been a giving job. I'm not selfish. I'm just self-assured. Like I, I value. Yeah. I'm like, I value my own work. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm not going to bend over backwards to do every single thing that somebody asks of me. But because the norm, like you said, is a people pleaser, that's taken as, oh my God, like she's so selfish. And I'm like, I literally have spent my entire life helping people. (laughs) Oh my God. And it's so true. Like we look at these little mini ways of people pleasing, like the micro people pleasing. And it's as simple as like, when I send an email, I feel very uncomfortable unless there's 10 exclamation points. I swear to God, I have to be like, okay, thank you. Have a good day. And it's like, girl, why are you overextending yourself like that? It's enough to just be like, thanks for your time, period. But something inside of me is like, I must make this person love me. I must show them how happy I am, how grateful I am. And then I look back and I reflect on that and I'm like, oh, this is a me thing. This is a people pleasing thing. A hundred percent. Yep. And some of it, like, you know, email niceties is really ingrained in culture. And in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter if you're adding a bunch of exclamation points to your thanks? Like, just do it. If it's fine, you know, if you want to be that person and hold your boundary and be like, I'm going to write thank you, period, even if that comes off as bitchy for whatever reason, like, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been plenty of times where, like, I always like to tell people, like, I like speaking to people and seeing how they're actually talking to me and how I actually talk to them. Because when I'm writing, I do come off like a bitch sometimes. And I know that. And I'm like, I'm not trying to, like, if you could hear the, like, 
the emphatic nature of my voice. And I mean, I've been talking with my hands this whole time. Yeah. It's, it's seriously like, I'm very excited and elated about whatever I'm talking about, but if you were to write it all out, it would probably sound pretty dull. Yeah, but that's kind of something I'm striving for is like, how can I stop overcompensating and like feeling the need to respond so, and not even just responding so enthusiastically, but sometimes with such speed and like precision. Like if somebody messaged me at 1.32, I'm looking at the clock, 1.32 p.m. If I don't have a response out by 1.35 p.m., I start to get anxious. And I've really had to work on reprogramming my brain to understand you see a text, you don't have the headspace to open it, don't open it. Absolutely. Yes. Led me to that realization was really just like burning out and feeling resentment towards people around me for texting me and expecting me to be available. But then I paused and realized, Allison, if you weren't making yourself available 24 seven, they wouldn't have that access to you. And so it is not their fault for take, take, taking when you give, give, give. You are the one who has to set those boundaries with your energy, with your time, etc. And be like, okay, I'm just too stressed out right now. I have too much going on. I'll respond to this message when I have the capacity rather than responding immediately and begrudgingly and being like, oh, I'm so resentful. I had to respond immediately. They always need something. Okay. But you're the one who gets to decide when you respond. And if you want to have a boundary, like any messages after 6 p.m. I don't respond to or any messages outside of my working hours I don't respond to have that boundary, hold it, put it in like all caps, underline it, stick it on a sticky note and put it to your mirror and hold yourself to that. Um, I had a conversation the other day with a friend about boundaries and how since we don't really have accountability or consequences from setting them with ourselves, we tend to skip the ones for ourselves because no one's going to get upset, right? If we don't set it, like nothing's going to happen. But there are so many long-term effects from not setting boundaries and protecting your energy early on. Absolutely. And I think that it's really important to note there that like, like you said, not having the accountability is a big piece of it. And that kind of goes back to that question I said, which is like, why are other people more important than you? And oftentimes that kind of boils down to the fact that you're responding all of the time, like you said, to be a people pleaser, to prove to others that you love them. But if you don't respond to them for another hour how likely is it that they're going to think suddenly that you don't love them anymore because you didn't respond right away? Like all of this ends up being a story that you're telling yourself. And by continuing to just feed into that pattern over and over again, what you're really doing is protecting yourself, but also keeping yourself stuck and keeping yourself in the same discomfort that you always get. Because if every time you're sending that text and saying like to yourself, oh my God, like she texted me again. I have to respond again. Like, I hate that this happens you know what's going to happen. It happens that same way every single time. And so sometimes it's easier for us to tackle like the same discomforts that we have all of the time instead of new unknown ones. Like, oh my God, what if I don't respond for a little bit? Like what will happen? Probably nothing, but your brain is going to probably tell you that a lot of crazy things are going to happen. And the same thing goes not only with just conversations, but also with food. Um, Oftentimes I'll have clients go, oh my God, like I can't eat yogurt, for example, like I think I'm lactose intolerant. I can't eat yogurt because if I eat yogurt, then it's going to make my stomach hurt and then I'm going to feel sick and whatever. And so they just avoid it all the time. Truth be told, if you told yourself that it isn't going to hurt your stomach, it might actually not, which is the case for a lot of my clients um, where you think that just because something happened once that it's now going to be a pattern that happens all the time. 
Mm, semantic health is interesting to me. Just the mm -hmm. fact that we can think ourselves into actual experiences and sensations. And it goes the same with mental health. Like if you guys have any experience with like OCD is specifically, I have some semantic OCD issues where I will hyper fixate on the feeling of air going through my lungs and what it feels like to breathe. And then all of a sudden I can't breathe. All of the air is out of the room. We're having a panic attack. We're going through that motion. But then I've also gotten to this point where I'm like, okay, how can I become aware of the story that I kind of tell myself with panic attacks? For me, I'm like, I'm someone who just has panic attacks. But if I claim that and I'm like, I am, you know, gold star, I am the panic attack queen, I'm never going to get away from that and put distance. And so being able to step back and be like, okay, that is a story that I once told myself that once served me because it made sense of the madness, but I don't have to keep telling that same story. I can leave space for a new story. And maybe that story is, yeah, sometimes I have panic attacks. Sometimes I don't. I'm a human being, you know? Yep. I love separating yourself outside of that because for a long time, um, I would tell myself like, oh yeah, I'm a recovering orthorexic. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm someone who had orthorexia in the past, but I, I, I hate when people take things and assign them to their, themselves, like you said. So saying like, I am anxious. It's like, no, you are experiencing anxiety. Um, like taking that and separating it out from yourself is such a powerful tool and saying like, I am, you know, a really exuberant and exciting person that sometimes has a panic attack is a lot more believable and understandable to yourself from yourself than saying like, oh, I, you know, I have a panic disorder and it's like, no, you have panic sometimes. So that's, that's mm -hmm. fine. I it's all really, about how we do it. Yeah. I try to drive home to my clients that like, so this idea of mental health diagnoses, yes, you need your mental health diagnoses. So you know what's going on. And so you can start a treatment plan and so you can start getting help, but it's not an excuse and it's not your scapegoat. And I see a lot of people getting their bipolar diagnosis, getting their BPD diagnosis. And they're like, well, that's just who I am. That's a part of me. No, it's a part of you that you are healing and recovering from. And yes, things like bipolar disorder are chemical. I will have that until the day that I die. But there are things like personality disorders that we literally learn and can unlearn. A lot of people don't realize that BPD and a lot of personality disorders, you can have your symptoms go into full remission. If you keep up with the DBT therapy, if you keep up with your skills and you just like really take care of yourself, a lot of people don't realize that. And they're just like, okay, I'm going to be like this forever. This is just who I am chalk it up to a mental health diagnosis. And that's why we have things like the stigma because people will use their mental illness or their diagnoses of whatever kind and exploit that. And that's not what we're here for. Like we're here to get that diagnosis, get a clear sense of which direction we're heading and then head that direction and start to heal and start to come back home to ourselves because these mental ailments, these um, eating what, what would the word be an eating, um, disordered eating habits or even, well, even other, um, like physical manifestations of poor health, similarly to the mental health ones, like they can be addressed and they can be fixed. Like recently, um, just today. So I have a client that was diagnosed with endometriosis. It was great for her because she realized like, oh, I'm not crazy, like for having my cramps be so much worse than everyone else's. Like, even though people say, you know, it can be bad, mine seem so much worse than everyone I talk to. Well, yeah, she has extra uterine tissue around her abdomen, and that is getting just as inflamed every time she has her cycle. For those of you who don't know what endometriosis is, um, 
But over the last month, like she had been telling herself for the last couple of months, you know, I have endo. This is just how it's going to be. And over the last month, we worked really hard together to come up with ways to lower her inflammation to, you know, really give her the best shot at having a little bit better of an experience before trying to go back onto hormonal birth control, which is like the typical thing that is prescribed. And this morning she messaged me and she's like, it's day two of my period. And I don't really have that bad of cramps. And I'm like, oh my God, like you've been telling me this whole time. It's, you know, I'm not not trying to get my hopes up, but she's been holding to everything and it's gotten so much better. And the same thing happened with another client of mine who used to have terrible bouts of PMDD. So premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And she would become enraged to the point that her husband and kids gave like an alter ego name to her that like that only ever happened when she was being super bitchy on that time of the month. She said it felt like a Jekyll and Hyde type thing. And for the last three months, it hasn't happened. And she's like, I feel like a totally different person. And the only things that we really focused on in all of these instances were taking better care of yourself physically and mentally. And that includes, you know, really focusing on the gut. Cause that's what I believe is like the key to a lot of this dysfunction, physical and mental. Um, there's a huge gut brain connection that's out there. So that's something cool to look into if you're interested, but it's like, it's all about changing the stories that you tell yourself and then also changing your lifestyle to fit the life that you want and not the life that you're currently living. Yeah. Ooh, this is powerful. It's like your diagnosis is not your fate. It's your starting point. It's like your jump off spot. Like once you know what's going on and you maybe have a word for it, just so you can put that separation between you and the thing itself, because I'm big on having separation. Like, yes, I do shamelessly own living with bipolar disorder just so I can be an advocate and be loud about it. But I still have separation. Like, I'm not like, oh, I am bipolar. That's who I am. I'm like, no, I am Allison. I am human. I live with bipolar disorder. I have to take medication to keep my mood in check. And that's okay because Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I need to do and I'm not using it as the scapegoat. And that is what I feel like tends to be the issue is like people get their diagnosis and they're like, ah, yes, this makes sense of everything. I can stop trying. It's like, no, 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 no. Your work has just begun. Unfortunately, this is like step one of 10,000 and just knowing what's going on in your mind or your body, whether it be something physical, whether it be something mental, step one is knowing what the hell's going on. And then step two is, okay, how do we grow from here? Absolutely. And I tell everyone the same thing. It's like, once you get that diagnosis from the conventional medicine space, I love that. I, all of my clients go and see their PCPs and get blood work done. Um, I'm like a big, big believer in checking out labs for things. And sometimes it's funny because the labs will come back and they'll be so disappointed in whatever the numbers say. And I'm like, no, this is fantastic because now I know how to help you. Like now we have a roadmap. We know where to go now. And so looking at those kinds of things it isn't all just a death sentence. Like every, everything that you're being given is information you can use to grow from, but it kind of turns into that, uh, like the whole paradigm of like, choose your hard, like life is hard, choose your hard. You can either live with what your diagnosis is, or you can take that and say, you know what, like now that I know what's going on, I'm going to do everything I can to make my life better right now. And that is, you know, the change in mindset you need to really go through life and just be excited about it and be excited about the challenge. 
Oh, that was good. You guys, if you're taking notes right now, like underline, circle, highlight, that was like the epitome of this episode and I loved that. So Paige, before we pop off, I love to do a fun little rapid fire with my guests to just end yes. out the episode on like a fun little note. And so if you're ready, we'll do some quick rapid fire. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So if you had 24 hours and you could be doing anything anywhere in the world with anyone, where would you be? What would you be up to? And who's sitting next to you? Oh, so I would definitely immediately be on the beach in Nice with my husband who has never gone. Um, I met him right before I studied abroad and I seriously, Nice is my favorite place in the entire world and the Mediterranean and I have a <laughs> a bigger and deeper love than I will ever have with anything else. So that's where I'd be. Beautiful. I love it. I feel like I'd go back to Spain. So it's, it's resonating. Um, what is a book that's impacted your life? Oh my God. So many. Um, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, how to do the work by, I believe Nicole LaPera. Uh, that was a huge one given our conversation right now. I have that book completely like highlighted, underlined, torn to shreds. So check that one out. Is it amazing? Um, it's 3am. You're about to go get a snack. It's like late night snack. I know you're a health person. What is that snack that you're reaching for? Oh, it's cereal of some kind. Uh, my late night snack is always cereal. Um, lately, let me see. Um, the one that comes to my head first is honey bunches of oats with almonds has to be the one with almonds. That's the best one. And everyone else is wrong. Literally. What is it about cereal? That is so much, but I don't eat cereal for breakfast, but it oh, me either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, nothing sounds better right now than a big bowl of like honey nut Cheerios or freaking yep tricks like why I don't know I you know it's it's crazy but similarly I have never once eaten cereal for breakfast that's never been a thing I always grew up as like oh this is just a snack you like can put in a baggie and have throughout the day because it's just easy to grab so I don't know it's quick it's crunchy it's satisfying mm -hmm. it's that little dopamine rush I think um last question if you were to describe your business your brand your passion in a word what would the word be <sighs> right? It's honest, so honest. Ooh. And not in like the, the, the cushy way, sometimes in like the hard truth kind of way. Um, radical honesty is something that I really, I practice what I preach. And like I said, I'm not for everyone and I recognize that and that's totally fine. Um, but I like kind of beating back the bullshit on all of the topics that we've talked about today. And so that's definitely what my business does is like cut through all of the noise so that you can actually find, you know, the useful nuggets underneath. Yeah. Oh, I love this. You literally embody so many parts of wishing you wellness. Like we're all about the radical transparency, radical integrity, like doing what you say you're going to do, being open and honest about the behind the scenes, the parts that are Instagram worthy, the parts that are not Instagram worthy are just as important to be highlighted and put out there. So I absolutely love that. Um, I think that's about it for today. So thank you so much, Paige, for coming on and making time and working with my crazy, hectic, hustle and bustle and schedule. It was so good to have you on. How can my listeners connect with you and stay in touch? Yes, of course. So I'm definitely most active on Instagram, although I have been getting into TikTok a lot more recently. Um, so you can probably find me on there too. Both you can find me at Imperfectly Page Wellness or on my website, imperfectlypagewellness.com amazing thank you so much for taking the time to be here you guys if you love this episode feel free to leave a rating or review give it a share on your story tag myself and Paige. i will have links to all of the ways to connect with Paige in these show notes 
in the show notes. Wow, all of those words just like went together. Um, so you guys can continue kind of learning from her, connecting with her. Yeah, if you like this episode, give it a share. Shoot me a DM. I love hearing from you guys. But that's all we got for you today. This has been real. This has been raw. This has been ex- insightful. This has been wishing you well.